welcome. It's Luke here, another episode of the podcast. Been a while since I've done a full-length podcast. I've been doing a few shorter ones, and today I want to talk a bit more about Neat. I just wanted to have somewhere that I could refer people to go to whenever they have some questions about this side of things. Now, I have some full lectures that go into a lot more detail than what I'm going to talk about today on the membership side, Fitness Fundamentals, and in my physiology course material. So I'll try and keep it a little bit uh, more surface level and a bit more relevant, but if there is a bit more detail that you wanna learn about, then those are some places where you can go to get some more information. Okay, so let's jump into it. NEAT is, it stands for Non-Exercise Activity Thermogenesis, which can be a bit confusing for people. Uh, People have tended to equate this with the number of steps you do per day, and that's one part of it. Essentially what it is, is it's any, spontaneous unplanned activity physical activity so it could be the postures that you're in it could be fidgeting it could be chewing gum it could be the steps you take climbing stairs leaning on things contributes all those sort of things Uh, any sort of physical cost that is not uh, i suppose specific training is considered neat and so you can imagine that this is a really highly variable part of our day-to-day lives So it's a big contributor to our total daily energy expenditure. In fact, it's probably the most variable part of our total daily energy expenditure. There are really three main components of this. It's the basal metabolic rate, which is what you could envision is the amount of energy required to keep you alive if you were just lying in a hospital bed. We have the thermic effect of food, which is just how much it takes for you to digest and absorb the food that you eat. And then we have physical activity, which we can break into exercise activity like planned training as i mentioned before and then non-exercise activity now there are a lot of factors that can affect this uh, energy expenditure things like age and body composition and your hormone levels and your nervous system activity and your internal temperature your external temperature disease states medications there's tons of different stuff that can affect it but the average person has physical activity as their biggest contribution to total daily energy expenditure is probably second behind your resting energy expenditure or your basal metabolic rate, the hospital bed situation. But most people are pretty sedentary. So 36% of the US population is classified as sedentary. 48% are physically active at only low levels. And only about 16% are considered to meet the highly active criteria, which is probably most people listening to this podcast. And even those amongst us who are listening to this podcast, who are specifically training for physical fitness, we're going to the gym and putting in the effort, additional energy expenditure from physical training is actually quite low. If you've looked at any of my material on how much energy you burn during a weights training session, for example, you'll be disgusted to understand that it is pretty low. So something like two hours a week of training is expected to contribute no more than about 100 calories per day, which is only about one to 3% of your total daily energy expenditure for most people. And so even though resistance training is pretty challenging, it doesn't contribute that much energy, uh, energy expenditure. And I don't think it should be the primary method of trying to burn calories. I think it's really there for the health adaptations and the mental adaptations and the performance benefits that we derive from that. I don't think it should be used as energy expenditure. So anyway, moving on to where NEAT comes in. NEAT is really the majority of energy expended outside of our basal metabolic rate, the hospital bed situation. So it, contri- it comprises both conscious, spontaneous physical activity, so unplanned physical activity, 
it also contributes via subconscious movement like fidgeting and posture. And I think this is where most people get a bit confused because we tend to conflate NEAT with daily steps. But we can have physical activity that is related to occupation, leisure time, uh, sitting, standing, locomotion, chores, hobbies, fidgeting, posture, all of those things contribute to NEAT. And most of that is subconscious. Now, the variability in basal metabolic rate is not very large. It's about 7 to 9% between individuals of a similar age, sex, and BMI. So we can quite easily compute a rough ballpark for how many calories you burn at rest, given we know your age, your sex, and your BMI. But for NEAT, it's actually extremely variable. Some people who are sedentary might expect a contribution of maybe 6 to 10% of their total daily energy expenditure from NEAT. But in people who are highly active in non-exercise activity, it could be as much as 50% or even more. So this is definitely the most variable part. And this brings us to why it's important because for managing weight and for managing energy expenditure, the energy outside of the equation, it's by far the piece that is most variable, meaning it's by far the piece that is going to contribute the most to energy expenditure, more than training, more than the basal metabolic rate, and more than the energy it takes to digest your food. So why do people think of steps when they think about NEAT? Well, I think the main reason is because there are obviously devices out there that measure steps specifically, and the reason there are devices out there that measure steps specifically is because that's an easy part of NEAT to measure. Other stuff is very, very difficult to measure. If you think about all of those activities I mentioned before, how do you measure the amount of time spent standing versus sitting, fidgeting versus not fidgeting, chewing gum versus not chewing gum, uh, and just your general posture, all of those little things that I mentioned before. It's very, very difficult. Even in the science, we find that there are two main methods used to try and measure NEAT and, and scientists will use things like accelerometers, GPS devices, pedometers, um, all sorts of measures. And it is very, very difficult to try and quantify. We can get a reasonable estimate over a day or two, but of course that doesn't reflect the course of a week or the course of a month uh, or even longer, which is really relevant for us if we're looking for long-term weight maintenance. And so these differences can really add up over time. According to a 1996 study by Black et al., some people expended up to three times more energy than others in a 24-hour period due to differences in physical activity. We found in other studies that NEAT can vary by as much as 2,000 calories per day between individuals that are of a similar age, similar sex, lean body mass, and height. And this is mainly due to the environment that we're in, our occupational energy expenditure. So obviously people in an office job uh, where they are essentially chair bound, let's say something like a call center, obviously your need will be pretty low. If you're doing seated work with no option of moving, it's quite low. Seated work with discretionary uh, movement allowed is obviously a little bit higher. Doing standing work, like if you're a shop assistant, you work retail, uh, you're a server, for example, at a restaurant, something like that is higher again. And you might expect as much as 1,500 calories a day as a contribution from NEAT versus maybe 500 um, from an office worker. And then we get into strenuous work, things like agriculture or uh, say a builder, something like that. 
and you might get as much as 2,000 or 2,500 calories a day contribution from NEAT versus 500 to 1,000 for an office worker. So you can see that there is a massive difference between that, and it's based purely on occupation. That's not taking into account things like leisure time and the general propensity to move and the com daily commute and things of that nature. So the average worker with a basal metabolic rate of about 1600 calories a day would be expected to expend at most about 700 calories per day neat, which would give them a total daily energy expenditure of around 2300 calories on average. But someone that is working a job that involves standing and light physical work for the same time period instead of sitting in an office would double this figure to 1400 calories a day in neat. So now we're talking 3000 calories a day in total energy expenditure. And if you had the agricultural worker or the builder that I mentioned before, they could theoretically expect about 2000 calories per day of contribution in NEAT. And now we're looking at 3600 calories a day or more in total daily energy expenditure, which is obviously much, much easier to manage from a diet perspective. And this research was carried out in industrialized countries. You can imagine in non-industrialized situations, it would broaden this gap even further because obviously the uh, machinery involved is much more efficient in an industrialized nation. And further to that point, the urban environment and modern mechanization is very much associated with lower physical activity, lower neat, things like washing machines, takeaway foods, pre-prepared meals, cleaners, those all contribute to neat. Uh, we find that following on from that, poverty, poorer neighborhoods, uh, and education status will also affect neat because firstly, it affects your occupation. Secondly, it affects your ability to purchase labor-saving goods and services like cleaners. And two studies actually found that more highly educated groups tend to have much higher leisure time and are therefore three times more likely to be physical active than less educated individuals who may have to work longer hours or more, uh, more jobs. You could also see that as going the other way. I know some people who spend quite a lot of time in an office, say lawyers or accountants or any other professional job like that, where you might have to spend 12 hours a day in an office at times, meaning you're obviously not out and being active. Whereas if you were of a lower socioeconomic status and you worked a job that was very physical, for example, then you may have higher levels of need. So all of that stuff contributes and it's going to be individual, the combination of all of those factors to the person. We then get things like seasonal effects. Seasonality and climate affect neat quite a lot. So if you're listening to this from Australia, we're in the middle of summer right now in December and it's quite warm. But converse to that, uh, you would expect people to be outside a lot more. We've had a lot of bushfires in Sydney and people have been staying indoors. I've certainly noticed less people out running. I've been outside less myself and less people are coming to the gym. And so that can affect uh, your leisure activities, your physical activity. People are generally more likely to be active in ledger activities in summer compared to winter. And some countries, uh, you know, in Sydney, we get a, a phenomenal winter. It's really quite nice. Some days are, are beautiful and warm and sunny. Uh, whereas obviously in other countries, my wife is from Sweden, it's a very, very different story. We tend to see the contribution of occupational need that I just mentioned is much higher in summer. So obviously agricultural and outdoor work tends to proceed a lot more in the summer months and that will affect the NEAT at a population level as well. Okay, so we've established that NEAT is obviously very important, and what I want to move into is that NEAT is also highly affected by adaptive thermogenesis, which happens when we diet. So, metabolic adaptation or adaptive thermogenesis, the same thing. 
It occurs in response to losing body weight, and it involves a variety of defensive mechanisms to preserve energy when a deficit in energy availability occurs. So when there's less energy coming in, the brain recognizes this and it starts to inhibit the amount of physical activity we do by adjusting NEAT. And so this is why people try to track their steps, try and keep that up when they are in a diet. And since NEAT is the most highly variable part of our total daily energy expenditure, it is largely affected by changes in energy intake. NEAT will increase uh, with an increase in intake in many cases, and it will decrease with a decrease in energy intake in many cases. So we'll discuss that a little bit further. The ability to adapt NEAT is really highly variable between individuals. And so this is kind of the point that I really want to get to because I get asked a lot of questions about you know how much of a surplus should i go into and the answer is really well it depends how much uh, adaptive thermogenesis you get and so i'm going to give you some heuristics you can work out with with that but this ability to adapt to neat is really highly variable between individuals and that can explain why some people might have an easier job getting lean on more calories and other people might not and it can also explain why some people might have a much harder job gaining weight as well so some studies to begin this section on NEAT and overfeeding. So this is when we're going into an energy surplus. Ravison et al. performed research in the 80s that demonstrated significant differences in the NEAT response between individuals to overfeeding. This was independent of lean mass, and they found that fidgeting and similar activity accounted for anywhere between 100 calories a day and 800 calories per day in subjects. This was only a short-term observation of 24 hours, but nonetheless, overfeeding subjects resulted in quite a stark difference between individuals. Similar to this, Leibel et al. overfed subjects, and they attempted to increase their weight by 10% over four to 10 weeks. So some subjects reached their 10% uh, increase in weight after four weeks of overfeeding. Others took as long as 10 weeks to get to this state. And then they tried to get them to maintain that weight increase. And they found that the total daily energy expenditure in some people increased by two calories per kilogram of lean mass. And some people increased it by 16 calories per kilogram of lean mass. So between two and 16 calories per kilogram of lean mass. So wide range of individual weight gain per unit of excessively consumed energy. Some people didn't increase their, their output, their energy output that much, and others increased it by eightfold, the lowest responders. So a massive, massive variation there. Some individuals really have this exceptional capacity to resist weight gain through overfeeding by increasing their need. And other people are less resistant to this. Of course, most of us are somewhere in the middle, but it, it depends, and it's, a, it's quite a broad variation. This one was the most inter interesting to me where Levine et al. overfed 16 subjects in free living conditions by 1,000 calories per day. And they saw an average increase in their total daily energy expenditure of about 550 calories, right? So you give people at a 1,000 calorie surplus and they increase their total daily energy expenditure by about 550 calories, which means their surplus is now really 450 calories, right? But... The most interesting finding of this was that the inter-individual variability was really high. The range of NEAT-related calorie expenditure was negative 98 calories for some people. So some people were overfed by 1,000 calories a day, and they actually reduced 
their physical activity by about 100 calories, 98 calories a day, meaning that their relative surplus is now 1100 calories a day. However, some people increased their NEAT to the tune of around 700 calories a day, meaning that their relative surplus is now about 300 calories a day. And the NEAT response in this study directly predicted body weight gain. So we're talking some people actually reducing their physical activity and ending up with about an 1100 calorie surplus. Some people increased their physical activity so much that overfeeding by a thousand calories meant that their NEAT went up by 700 calories a day, leaving them with a 300 calorie surplus. So a huge stark difference there. And obviously you could find that this is gonna correlate quite closely with how much weight you gain when you're in a surplus. So weight gain, trying to eat in a surplus, how much should you increase your surplus by? Well, you don't know until you try it. There's no way of predicting this until you watch the scale and see what happens. I would recommend that most people will, when they wanna go into a surplus for the purposes of trying to put on some muscle to increase their calories by about 200 calories a day and see what happens over the next couple of weeks. If your body weight is steadily increasing, then you're in a good spot. If your body weight stays the same or doesn't move, then obviously you might need to increase it again. At that point, I would probably do another 200 calorie increase and see what happens. Ideally, we're looking for, on average, a weight gain of between 1% and 2% per month, meaning that you're gaining weight, but it's not so fast that you're going to be putting on a ton of body fat, but you're still having a noticeable increase in weight. And that's really the only way we can work it out is by looking at your scale weight and making a decision from there. So moving on to NEAT and energy deficits, since overfeeding has really mixed results on NEAT, some people increase their NEAT a lot, other people actually even go into a bit of a, a deficit in NEAT. Energy deprivation is much more predictable. When you're in a deficit, it's a pretty consistent reduction in NEAT that we tend to see. It's part of a huge suite of changes that occur with adaptive thermogenesis, and the, this was first sort of observed in the Minnesota starvation experiments in the 1940s. It was the first major study to record this. They noticed a really large reduction in total daily energy expenditure. This has later been replicated multiple times in subsequent research. Uh, now, one interesting finding that I came across was from an experiment that they labeled the Biosphere 2 experiment. This is a long-term experiment, and it showed that reductions in total daily energy expenditure and reductions in NEAT occurred from a two-year reduction in body weight. And these changes persisted to some extent after six months of weight regain to original levels. So what that means is that these people were put into a deficit. Over two years, they lost body fat or body weight. Then when they regained the body weight, the reduction in needs that they saw stayed around. And obviously we would ordinarily expect that when you're in a surplus, your need is going to increase to some extent. But in this case, after a large long-term weight reduction, even regaining some weight afterwards didn't result in increased NEAT. Uh, in some people, it did see a bit of an increase, uh, but it certainly wasn't as much as you would have expected, and it didn't go back to original levels either. So we have these weight loss-induced reductions in NEAT that persist after dieting in some people. And there's a risk of overshooting energy requirements and re weight regain occurring if you go back to your old maintenance. And so you're probably thinking, oh, this is terrible. I don't want to diet because, you know, if I have to diet on 1200 calories and then my need goes down and then I try and go back to 1800, which is a reasonable amount to eat, then I'm going to put on all this body fat because I'm not moving as much. 
Well, the way you can mitigate this effect is by engaging in structured physical activity. And so one study compared various modes of exercise during an extreme diet. What they did is they took 140 overweight sedentary women. They didn't exercise much at all. No structured exercise. They put them on 800 calories a day, so a really extreme deficit. And they separated them into three conditions. One group was on 800 calories a day and did no structured exercise. The second group on 800 calories a day and did aerobic training a few times a week. And the third group, 800 calories a day and did resistance training a few times a week. And they found that the total daily energy expenditure and NEAT declined in the no exercise group. Um, but in exercising subjects, only their basal metabolic rate was reduced. NEAT was unaffected. So the basal metabolic rate is really tied to your body size. And of course, they lost weight. So their basal metabolic rate went down. That's no problem. But they found that their NEATs didn't go down. Their NEATs stayed high, even though they were on this massive deficit. So how much training did they have to do? It was only two days a week of exercising, um, which is quite interesting. So engaging in structured physical activity when you're dieting can help preserve NEAT levels to some extent when you're losing weight. I wouldn't expect that to occur with absolutely everybody. And in fact, in the study, they found that training or exercising in a structured plan for three or more days actually resulted in a compensation via lower NEAT levels. And so I think that the, the general practice of keeping track of your steps or how physically active you are when you're training more than two or three days a week it's probably a good idea because it does keep you accountable and it does keep your need levels up. But it does seem that structured physical activity can help reduce these reductions in NEAT when you're in an energy deficit. So in summary, before I get too into the weeds with this, overfeeding studies show huge individual variability in NEAT response. Some people are compensators and they see a large subconscious increase in NEAT which makes them much more resistant to obesity via increased energy intake. Some people are what we'd call more of a thrifty phenotype, and this is probably the majority of people on a population level, and they tend to restrict, or they don't have that much of an increased NEAT response when they get overfeeding, meaning that they put on weight a bit more easily. Now, basal metabolic rate is tied to body weight, and so when we diet and we reduce our body weight, Basal metabolic rate tends to go down, but NEAT is also consistently decreased with underfeeding or a calorie deficit. And this represents a bit of a risk factor for weight regain after dieting. And we can take steps to mitigate this rebound by engaging in physical activity in a structured exercise program and doing things like tracking our daily steps to try and make sure that our NEAT stays pretty high. Now there's a lot more to NEAT. There's a, there's a, a huge web of physiology that happens with NEAT. Uh, NEAT regulation is also controlled a bit by genetics. It's controlled at the level of tissues and organs. Uh, it's controlled in peripheral tissues by the central nervous system. We have, you know, leptin signaling in the brain. Skeletal muscle plays a role. There's a lot that's going on. And so I go a bit more into that in uh, my physiology courses and the fitness fundamentals. But what I really want to get to at the end of this podcast is going into how we can promote NEAT for the individual. Uh, because, of course, we need to consider free living individuals when we aim to counteract the effects of an obesity promoting environment. And there are really two main issues that we're looking at here. The first is how can we maintain or increase NEAT under caloric restriction? And the second one is what's even a realistic goal for NEAT? How do we implement activities that contribute to it in the first place? 
So there was a pretty good study in 2005 by Levine and Cotts who developed a framework for understanding how NEAT is affected on two levels. So you can address it from an egocentric level, which is essentially at an individual level. So for example, since we're in a hypercaloric environment, we each need to increase physical activity in response to this hypercaloric diet. And there's a geocentric response, which is addressing need at a population level, uh, which involves our environment. So our environment has essentially pressured us into less daily physical activity on a societal level with sedentary jobs, less leisure time, um, mechanized commuting opportunities, things like that. So we really want to uh, obviously affect those environmental factors on a societal and a policy level, which is not super relevant to all of us in this podcast. So I'll mainly focus this on the egocentric, the individual level. Again, focusing on factors that impact the individual, including some environmental factors. We want to think about things like job type, leisure time activity, your commute, um, you know, time spent and type of transportation, and work time physical activity. There are different ways that will obviously affect each individual listening to this. So if you think in terms of those things I just mentioned and think about where you could potentially increase NEAT, then that's obviously something that would be some food for thought for all of you. However, uh, I think there are four key elements that we need to think about when we're trying to prescribe NEAT or increase NEAT for individuals. The first one is that free choice is really, really important. So self-selected physical activity is self-reinforcing, meaning that you shouldn't have to do things that you don't really want to do. You should select to do things that you do want to do to increase your daily movement. The second part is that I think linking neat promoting behavior to an immediate outcome is quite important. So being sedentary is immediately rewarding. If you're sitting on the couch watching TV, that's immediately rewarding to you. But the health benefits of, say, standing up more often aren't immediately obvious. You're not going to get an immediate feedback from that. You're not going to feel immediately rewarded from that. So what we can do to counteract that and to uh, invoke or tie ourselves to the longer term outcome is to try and pair up physical activity with enjoyable rewards like listening to music or walking with a friend or doing something that we enjoy at the same time that we engage with physical activity. Following on from that, reducing friction for physical activity participation is really, really important. So physical activity should be easily accessible. Driving 30 minutes to go to the gym is too high of a cost for most people to regularly engage in. When you're selecting physical activity that you want to involve yourself with, try and make it as frictionless as possible. Make it as easy as possible. Other ways of reducing friction would be things like packing a gym bag the day before, you know, maybe planning out your day in advance so that it's easy for you to shower at work or something like that. Those are all things that you can do to try and increase the, the likelihood of you engaging with physical activity with the least amount of friction. And finally, I suppose the overall theme of this is that physical activity has to be more attractive than other options. There have to be alternatives that are appealing to the individual. And this is an individual thing. Um, to give you an example, if the choice is between a one hour gym session and watching TV, many people might just prefer to do the latter. They might just prefer to watch TV. But if there's some sort of alternative involved, like kicking a ball at the park with a friend, they might actually prefer to do that to watching TV. And so you're providing an alternative that is actually more attractive than the original option. And then you're more likely to go and enjoy something 
and get some physical activity in at the same time. And I think this speaks to doing physical activity that you find enjoyable, you know, regardless of whether people say, oh, you need to be doing, you know, two weight sessions a week and two cardio sessions a week and stretch twice a week or whatever it is, or you have to go for a walk or anything like that. Just try and find something that you like doing and you engage with that. And it doesn't even feel like a, a chore to go and exercise then. For many people, that's things like playing a, a sport or meeting friends for a walk or something like that. Okay, so at this point, I'm going to stop the podcast there. I hope you've enjoyed it. And I hope this provides some food for thought in how you can enhance NEAT in your own environment. Just be aware that uh, realistically, most people are going to sort of aim for that 10,000 steps a day kind of mantra. I think that, uh, you know, whatever you can do and trying to shape your environment to ensure that you are increasing your physical activity without having to be cognizant of it all the time is very, very helpful. And little things do add up. If you are, you know, for me, I know tracking my steps, if I go grocery shopping, it accounts for about 2000 steps and obviously lifting things in and out of the car and carrying them around the, the supermarket. And that's something that I don't even notice. Whereas I definitely notice if I have to do a 15, 20 minute walk to get up that amount of steps in the first place. So things like that can help. Uh, and I'll stop rambling here. <laughs> All right. Thanks very much for listening and I'll catch you in the next one. Thank you.